Young women have been growing up with an indoctrination of what womanhood is and what it should be. They've been taught everything that is in direct opposition to the Word of God. Young women who want to be different from the world are rare, but they are real. On this Rare But Real podcast, Audrey Brogy will often be joined by her daughter, Grace Anna, and her daughters-in-law, Maureen, Kesset, and Marilyn, who desire to be discerning in a day when everything seems to go against God's design. Join them in the journey of becoming rare but real. It takes courage and conviction. And now, Audrey Brogy. Um, my daughter-in-law, Maureen, over there, her um, Claire and Grace are with her. And um, she's married to my second son, Jordan. They met when they were nine years old because my sons started picking strawberries at her father's farm, and I wanted them to work. <laughs> and, um, and that's when they met. But as we like to joke around, they started talking when they were 15. Maybe Jordan was still 14 when y'all started talking. Started talking. <laughs> anyway, and then uh, it's like you know right away. If you know your kids, you, you kind of think you, you know where this is going. But we had a lot of um, rules, which they appreciate now. <laughs> um, but anyway, and uh, she'll, I'm sure she'll share a little bit more about where she is in her stage of life and all the stuff she will do. But I love her like a daughter, and you will be blessed by hearing from her. Okay, ladies, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, I know sometimes when we stand up, it's hard to sit back down because we're visiting, maybe with friends that we haven't seen in a while or just without our kids so we can talk a little longer. But we want to honor your time um, so that you can get back home to your children and husband. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you for this, for last night and for today. Thank you for Audrey and her faithfulness to come before us to give us your word on how to be biblical wives and mothers and how to live that out. Father, I pray that none of her words would be wasted on us, that your words wouldn't be wasted. I pray that we would apply them in our wives and that we would rely on you for help when we need it. Father, I pray now as I come before these ladies to share a little bit with them, I pray that you'd help me, that you would equip me, that you'd fill me with your spirit, that I would share only what you want them to hear. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I jump into my talk, my name is Maureen. Um, I'm married to Jordan, which is Audrey's second son. We have been married for almost 19 years. In June, we'll celebrate our 19th anniversary. Uh, As Audrey mentioned, we've been talking, and we're still talking, thankfully, since uh, (laughs) we've been, you know, in a relationship since Jordan was 15, and I think I just turned 16, because I remember when he, you know, defined the relationship was the night before I turned 16, he gave me a gift card to this store called The Closet. I don't know if any old Bufortonians remember The Closet in Cross Creek Shopping Center, but that's when I knew it was official. Um, and, <laughs> and since then, we have gone on, we have, have had five children. Jack is 16, he'll turn 17 in May. Luke has just turned 15 last week. Claire is 13, Grace is 11. And Jane would be eight if she was still here with us. We, um, she unexpectedly died almost seven years ago now, and July will be seven years. Um, and so what I want to share with you today, in fact, I entitled my talk, Seasons of Hardship, 
And I, you know, a lot of this, this is very applicable to being a wife and a mom or a single lady, a young lady, a college lady, because the Bible is clear to tell us that trials will come. And so I am so confident that in a room this size and with the live stream running, that there are plenty of you who have experienced hardship. You're either walking through a hardship right now You've just come out of one, or you're going to go through one soon. And sometimes these hardships come without warning. And so we have to be ready. But maybe you felt like this life isn't what you expected. You've been walking with the Lord faithfully and obeying Him, and then something happens in your life that changes things forever. Maybe you've even found yourself asking the Lord, why me? Maybe you're walking through a difficult season in parenting. As Audrey just talked about, we can have seasons with rebellious children. We can walk through seasons of making decisions for our children that are hard. We can walk, you know, as I have older children now, thinking about college decisions, all these different things that can become hard if we're not walking with and relying on the Lord. Maybe you've just received a grim health diagnosis for yourself, your child, or even your husband. Maybe your spouse was laid off from his job recently. Maybe you've walked through divorce and you're come out, you've come out on the other side of that and you feel broken and lost. Maybe you have a strained relationship with your parents or a friend. Maybe you are single and you long to be married. Maybe you're married and you long to have a baby and God has not opened your womb yet. Maybe you've experienced many miscarriages or maybe You've experienced a parent's worst nightmare, which is to lose a child. So no matter where you are or what you've been through, or maybe I also want to say, maybe you're in here and you're young and you haven't really experienced a lot of hardship yet. You know, praise God for that because he's shaping you and pruning you as you walk with him and he's preparing you for those times. So whatever hardship you're in, God has not left you. He sees you, he hears you, he is available to help you. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Do you believe this? As a Christian woman, do you believe that God is with you? That he hasn't left you even when it feels so dark sometimes? My prayer is that our hearts will be open to the, what the Lord has for us in our life. Ladies, we have been given God's word, written in a book called the Bible, that should be our lifeline. We should be clinging to God's word for dear life, longing to read the next pages, to know what Audrey just talked about, all the people who have gone before us. And by the way, all those hardships I've just mentioned are in the Bible. So you can read about them. Whichever one you're going through, you can usually find it. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Most of you are very familiar with this verse. You probably even know the tune of the song or the music that it's set to, which I don't sing, but you know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But I'm gonna read the rest of it, not sing it. It says, when I feel afraid and I think I've lost my way, Still, you're right there beside me. Nothing will I fear as long as you are near. Please be near me to the end. I will not forget your love for me, and yet my heart forever is wandering. Jesus, be my guide and hold me to your side. 
and I will love you to the end. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You've probably sung that little verse to your children before, maybe to yourself. But again, do you believe it? Do you really seek God's word as a light unto, you know, a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path? Is that where you go? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to when you experience things? You know, if you were told that there was a million dollars buried in your backyard, say we sent Claudia sends you off with that, go home and find the million dollars buried in your backyard. I guarantee you all of you would gather up all of your family and friends, start digging until it was found. Am I right? I know I would. And why would we do that? Because we want the treasure. We want all that, but guess what? We have more than money in God's word. We have more than any of the riches of this world. We have great wisdom and truth to lead us and to guide us. So why don't we search out God's word like we would if we heard there was treasure buried in our backyard? Why don't we search this out and open this when hardships come? Or for that matter, when blessings come, why don't we thank the Lord for the things that he's given us that we're thankful for? Psalm 19, seven through 10 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And then 2 Peter tells us, which Audrey's referred to this throughout this conference, 2 Peter 1, 2, and 3, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, for his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Did you hear that? In this book, we just read, everything we need for life and godliness is pertained. And I know I can stand up here and say this to you today. Read your Bibles, ladies. Some of you will leave here encouraged and start a quiet time, but I would encourage you to ask the Lord to help you to remain on, to not lose heart in that. Ask him if God's word is not sweeter than the honeycomb to you. Beg him that it would become that way. And the more, I think Audrey said, the more we obey God, the more we desire, the more we love God, the more we desire to obey him. And I would add to that, the more we are obeying him and loving him, the more joyful our lives will be. Even in the hard decisions, God's going to give us that peace. So point, so point number one was we have to know our Bible and be a student of it. Point number two is hardships will come. The Bible is very clear that the trials will come to all believers. It's not if, but it's when. And if we're truly students of God's word, we will know this truth and we won't be surprised. We won't have the wind knocked out of us when they come. Second Timothy 3.12 says, says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John 16.33 says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. James 1, 2 through 4, well, that's Audrey's already read to us. Consider it all joy, my brethren, 
when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Then 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And finally, 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for the testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. And those are just a handful of verses promising the believer that we are going to walk through trials and hardships. But listen to some of the little phrases that pop from those verses. Will be persecuted. You will have tribulation when you encounter various trials. After you have suffered for a little while, do not be surprised. There are those action words, ladies. Don't be surprised that they're coming. The Bible is crystal clear we're going to walk through them. And my trials may not be yours, and yours may not be someone else's, but we will experience trial to varying degrees while we're on this earth. And why? Because we live in a fallen world. God didn't make it that way. It was perfect, and we messed it up. We ushered sin into this world. This world is broken, but guess what? Jesus has overcome sin and death when he died on that cross, which we're going to be celebrating at Easter in a few weeks, Christ's victorious reign, and we as believers should be comforted by that. Charles Spurgeon says, Trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. So ladies, we already know that trials are going to come, but they're going to reveal our character. Audrey also referenced this at the end of her talk. We don't want to run away from the Lord during hardship. We want to cling to him. And when you know his word, ladies, you're naturally going to be drawn to him. And he is going to be flood. The Holy Spirit is going to flood your, your mind with his truth to comfort you, to hold you. So let's be equipped to walk through the hard times and to come out on the other side of our hardships stronger in our faith than when we enter them. In the last 12 years, I've been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and have had a child die. To say that these two events have been life-changing is such an understatement. April 1st, 2011 was the day I received my health diagnosis. I had been experiencing different symptoms for the better part of a year, and at that, and at that point, I was scared. I was just ready to know what was going on, and the doctor said the words, multiple sclerosis. I began to project what my life would look like or wouldn't look like now that I was living with a debilitating disease. I had a lot of questions for the Lord. I don't really, I went through journals I had written at that time. I don't ever see where I asked the Lord, why me? And, and the reason I say that, and my husband can vouch for me in this, I've always been the type of person that says, why not me? Why would I be spared from a disease? Why would I be spared from the death of a child versus you? And so that didn't really knock me off my axis. It was just more, so now what? What do we do? But I'll never forget sitting with Jordan in tears as he prayed for me and for our family. And he ended the prayer, our prayer time with Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, you know, Jesus was asking 
God the Father to remove the cup of death from him, but not my will, but yours be done, he said. And that's what Jordan said. He asked the Lord, Lord, will you remove this disease from Maureen's body? He still prays that. He believes that. But he also knows that we don't know the end game. So he always says, but not our will, but yours be done. May that be our prayer all the time, knowing that ultimate healing or of sorrow or physical disability, that's going to come in heaven one day. So we ask for the continued physical decline to stop, but we know when we ask that, that that may not be God's will for me on this side of heaven. And that's hard sometimes. I don't want, I mean, you guys have seen me, walking is hard and it's become increasingly harder in the past three years. And there are times that it's very scary. I mean, I, I'm gonna reference this verse again and Audrey's already mentioned it, but that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. That, I used to have that hanging when we came down the stairs into our foyer, that scripture, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And I think now, I'm not just doing that in a spiritual sense, but literally walking by faith and relying on the Lord. Lord, I know you called me to do this, to be here, but will you help me? Will you equip me? And he does. He's always been faithful. And, you know, preparing for this talk, I really started, I studied a lot of different things, but I really started, I was honed in and zoned in on the life of Hagar. And I'd never really studied her before. Um, I listened to some sermons about her, but I mean, the two without, we don't have enough time to go into all the things about her, but in all the different meanings of the covenant child and the child of the bond woman. Uh, so I won't do that. I'll save that for Pastor Carl. But I will say this. I think about the first time when Hagar, you know, realized, when Sarah realized that Hagar had conceived, and you can read about this for yourself in Genesis 16, and then chapter 21, when Sarah, who wanted desperately to have that promised child, she went ahead of the Lord, and she told, convinced her husband to have a baby with her handmaid, and Hagar conceived. But then the Bible tells us that Sarah was embittered towards Hagar, that she sent her off. And so we see Hagar out into the wilderness, but then we see that God sees her in fact, that's for the name. I, can, I will butcher the name. Um, but the God who sees, God saw Hagar distraught and he sent her back to be with Sarah and Abraham. And then I think about 13 years pass, Isaac's born, the promised child has come about. You know, a lot of things have happened in between. But again, Sarah does not want Hagar or Ishmael around. And so they go out, Abraham leads them out, he gives them sustenance, but when they run out, Hagar is sitting in there crying because she's worried she's gonna see her son die before her eyes. And she's crying out to the Lord and it's the God who hears. So God saw Hagar in her, into her hardship and he heard her in her hardship. And it just reminded me, ladies, there are so many, as I've already referenced, examples in the Bible of women or men who have walked hard things and then God showing up. God didn't leave her. He didn't forsake her. In fact, again, the God who sees, the God who hears, 
That's where those names, if you, as you, you know, go through the different qualities of who God is, like you'll learn those. And that is something to remember, like don't ever not take your hardship before the Lord in prayer because he hears you. He loves you. So here I am knowing that God sees, knowing that God hears. I have this disability. It's really hard. But I'll tell you, ladies, I have to make a daily choice not to sit in my inabilities. Because I am so confident that as long as the Lord has me breathing, that I have a clear purpose. And my purpose isn't just to sit home and feel sorry for myself. And it's not that I've never felt sorry for myself, so I'm not going to tell you that. But I have, when, as soon as I take my eyes off the Lord and put them in pity Maureen mode, everything just crumbles. And so ladies, whatever you're facing, that list of things I rattled off, and I know there's many more things, don't take your eyes off of the Lord. Don't make it about you. As soon as you start thinking, wow, all I've been thinking about is poor me. Oh, my life stinks. If it was like this, it would be so much better. You know, if only I could walk, I'd be a better mom. If I could do this, I'd be a better wife. But you know what? That's not true. Because God is God no matter what my set of circumstances are. It's my job to rely on him and to trust him for what he's doing. And I don't always understand or see right now what God is doing. And some of it I may not until I get to heaven one day. But I know that he's doing something in my life. And I know that it's my call. And it's your call, ladies. You're here. Your job is not just to sit at home and do nothing. You have your clear roles. So do them. Own them. Ask the Lord to help you with them. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God's grace is sufficient for us. Do you believe that? You know, as believing women, and maybe some of you in here are not, and I would urge you that if you don't know the Lord, don't leave here without finding out how to do that. God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die for you, to die for me, to take away the punishment that our sin deserves, which is death. And you can have eternal life with him. You can have the assurance of hope and an eternity in heaven right now. You don't have to put that off. You don't have to wait. And even if you're in here and you think, oh, I've been at this church for 10 years. I've heard Pastor Carl preaching the gospel and I thought I was a Christian, but maybe I'm not. It's not too late. Today is a day of salvation, ladies. It is. And some of you, I'm sure God brought here to hear Audrey sharing the gospel all throughout her message or to hear me now. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit's prompting. God wants your heart. He desires no one to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So let the Lord work through your hardships. You want to become more like him. So our point one is we must know God's word and obey it. Point two is a reminder that hardships are going to come. And I will tell you, your hardships will be way, I don't want to use the word easy, but easier to get, I mean, easier to walk through when you know God's truth. When you cling to that, he wants you to do that. But then July 24th came, 2016, the worst day of my life and my husband's. Our daughter Jane unexpectedly died in her sleep. 
Our lives have forever been changed. Jane's death has been so hard. So many things changed after her death. So many things in our lives changed. So many things we assumed or thought, they weren't God's plans. But you know what I've been able to rest in? Jane's death was not in vain. You know, I've had people kind of allude to, you know, if a little kid dies, it's not too bad because they weren't really doing much for the Lord. But like that crushes me every time I hear that because Jane Amanda Brogy's life was not in vain. And it was 21 months, but that little girl, she would sing praises to the Lord. She would bebop around the house, her in her car seat, doing it, and she loved him, and she is with her Savior now. That doesn't mean that the sorrow for us is not still here. But I will tell you, almost seven years later, God has lifted that boulder that used to lie on my chest for years after she died. I've seen, I've seen God's goodness. I would never choose it the way that it's come about, but I've seen it, and I'm here to testify to you. And that I would imagine most of you in here are mothers, and I hope that never happens to you that you have to lose a child and bury a child. But it's a reality, ladies. It happens all the time. In fact, I think a longtime church member is burying their son right now as I speak. And something they never would have expected. Things just change like that. But you know what doesn't change? Is the God we serve. The Bible tells us he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our solid rock. He doesn't change. So I'm sharing some of these really hard trials with you. And, and I mean, I've just focused on two of the hardest ones that I've walked through and I'm currently walking through. But there are many. Don't like think, oh, well, that's not really a trial. You know, if my baby won't sleep at night. No, whatever is hard for you right now, like God sees and he cares about. So if you're up with your first baby and you're up all night for two nights in a row and don't know how to put him or her to sleep, that is hard. But guess what? God's going to help you get through it. And you calm yourself and rely upon the Lord and he's going to help you. And then I know sometimes as new moms, it's kind of irritating to hear, the days are long, but the years are short. But I promise you with an almost 17-year-old, that is so true. And it doesn't feel short when you're rocking the baby that will not quit screaming. And you're like, why? I think I've done everything. It doesn't. So that could be your trial. Whatever your trial is, God sees, he knows, and he cares. He cares more than you do. He's with you. I'm going to, Audrey actually read this passage towards the end of her talk. Matthew 7, about the two houses that the foundations were built on. One man built his foundation on the sand, the other on the rock. The winds came and they blew. You know, the one on the sand crumbled. The one on the rock withstood the test of the winds and the hardships in life. And I just want to say, Lord, I am thankful that my foundation, that my husband's foundation, that our now four living children's foundations are on Christ. Because no matter what has come our way, we have stood through it. Yes, it's been hard. Yes, there are times that I just think, Lord, I can't take anymore. 
but then he picks me up or he sends a friend or he has a text come in or a call to encourage me to keep walking the walk of faith. That's how God works. He sees, he knows. My third point is don't waste the hardships God has allowed into your life. I'm confident that as long as the Lord gives me breath, I'm to be living for him. And ladies, that's true for you too. That's not just for me. There's a lady I know. She says, as long as you have a pulse, you have a purpose. We all in here have a pulse right now. So we all have a clear purpose, 100%. So don't lose that. But for me, God's called me to be a willing servant of his. He's called me to be Jordan's wife. He's called me to mother Jack, Luke, Claire, and Grace. And did that, he called me to be Jane's mother for 21 months. He's called me to be a friend, to be faithful and serve in my church and use my gifts that God's given me. He's called me to enjoy the life he has blessed me with. And I don't want to forget that because there has been so much blessing in my life. So much good that we don't want to get bogged down in the bad and the heavy and forget the good things God has given us. And that sometimes alone, ladies, to get out of yourself when you're just like stuck in a little, I call it a little funk, just you need to start rattling off all of your blessings and it quickly shifts your mindset, your mentality. It's not on you, it's on the Lord and God has blessed you richly with so many things. He's blessed me richly. Um, things are hard. You know, another point that I really want you ladies to learn and not wasting your hardship is that Satan wants you to waste it. Satan wants to swoop in and take away your joy. He tells me, he tells you and me to stop all those things because I've been given a hard life. Don't live for the Lord, Maureen. God's, you know, your daughter died. You can barely walk. Why are you faithful? What's he done for you? That's what Satan tells me. He tells me to sit and feel sorry for myself. Satan tells me to stop being a godly wife and a mother. But God tells me in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. So don't give Satan a foothold in your trials. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies. Ladies, your family needs you, regardless of what hardship you're walking. It's not an accident that the Lord chose you to be your husband's wife and your children's mother. They need you. God picked you for these roles, knowing the trials you'd walk through. And he invites us to come to him and to express our fears and our challenges. Allow God to be the comforting balm of your heart. And speak truth from his word into your trial. And I'm not here to sugarcoat hardships, lady, because they're not easy. Hardships are hard. That's why they're called hardships. But God calls us to faithfully endure until the end. We are not to fold up or rust out as soon as adversity strikes. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not to the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
Ladies, when I sometimes read that verse, I bawl my eyes out because I say, Lord, this doesn't feel momentary. This doesn't feel light. This feels like forever and very hard. But God can handle that. You go before him and be honest with the Lord. But guess what, ladies? This earth, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us all about how this is our tent that we're walking through, that our home is in heaven. It's not here. So, you know, in this verse, really, in these verses, did you hear those words? Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Don't give up. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want my children to, I want them to be able to learn from me. And I want them to be able to say, my mom didn't lose heart. Yes, she walked a hard road for some things. Yes, there were times that she was at what felt like the end of her rope. But I want my children to see me being faithful. I want them to see me pointing them to God's word and his promises and to not become bitter at God for the things he's allowed into our family. You know, I worry sometimes, am I embarrassing my kids by my walk? You know, they've had so much in their young years that they've endured, but then I stop, I'm like, that is a lie from Satan. My kids love me, they love my husband. I think, I know, I see their walks with the Lord. Yes, they've endured much, but they've been given so much, and they're walking faithfully. They're not perfect children like none of us are, but they love the Lord and they see that in us. So don't lose heart. And even in the times when your hardships seem heavy and forever, bring that before the Lord. And then sometimes I think of, and Audrey also read this passage, which by the way, I told her last night, I said, most of the verses you're quoting, I'm quoting. And she was just like, it's okay, it's God's word. It doesn't return void and God's word is living and active. So obviously we really all needed to hear these verses today. But I always think of Philippians four or five through eight. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, there's any excellence. And if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. You see, the things that I can get worried about are coming from Satan. They are lies. Remember, John 8 tells us he's the father of lies. And I must choose to put aside the lies. And as soon as the lies come to mind, I need to dwell back on the truth. What did Philippians 8 just tell me? Whatever is true, honorable, lovely, good, right, pure. Those are the things our minds are to be dwelling on. And that doesn't mean that the hardship isn't hard. But it's not true for Satan to cast into your mind that God doesn't love you because he's allowing it. That's a lie, ladies. Don't believe it. And my children are such a picture of God's faithfulness to me. As I've already said, they've endured so much at their young ages. But God's using all their hardships to shape them. And the hardships that have come into our family's lives... They don't define who, those, who my children are, but they are shaping them. 
They don't, and, you know, just like MS doesn't define me. I don't need to walk up and say, hi, I'm Maureen Brogy, and I'm disabled. Like, yes, that, that's true. It's a byproduct of living in this fallen world. Right now, I, I do have a disability. That doesn't define me. Don't let your hardships define you. Don't do that, ladies. As soon as you do that, everything gets harder. So remember that verse, for now we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. And you have to keep that in your head. You have to memorize God's word. You have to know it. And so I would also encourage you in not wasting the trials. Well, you need to know some trials that happen to real people in the Bible. These aren't just stories as in they're not real. The Bible is true and it's good. And these are men and women who've gone before us. So read to your children the stories of Joseph and Moses and Daniel, Esther, Ruth, and Job. They each experienced so much hardship, but they continued to walk with the Lord. And when you're reading about those saints, look at the ways that they struggled and then the ways that God showed them mercy and kindness and gentleness. It was okay for them to struggle, but it wasn't okay for them to stay in their struggles. The Lord was with them through each trial. They didn't lose heart. They were faithful to the end. And that should be our prayer for ourselves and for our children, that we would be faithful to the end. Ladies, we're just stewards of our children that God's given us. So I know we always say, my kids, my children, my this, my that. But God has entrusted however many kids you have into your lives, or even if you don't have physical children, the children you care for, maybe you teach children, maybe you just love your neighbor's children, whatever children are in your life, he's given that, that you an opportunity to love on them, to show him his truth. So don't waste those trials. Tell your kids, don't try to hide the hard things. They see it anyway. Your kids know when their parents are off. So sit before your kids, and I don't mean divulge every single thing, because some things kids don't need to hear at certain ages, but a lot of it they see. There was no way for us to hide that their sibling died. And we walked that road with our kids. I'll never forget all the times that we sat at our daughter Jane's in the cemetery where we buried her. And our fourth, Grace, would always say, don't, and you know, we'd be sobbing and she'd say, don't you just hope the rapture happens now? Because the Bible says that the dead in Christ rise first. Wouldn't that be cool if we saw Jane go up and then we went up right with her? And it's like, that is God's mercy and kindness. Just to like, even in our sadness, yes, Grace, four-year-old, that is going to happen. The dead in Christ will rise first. Our kids are watching. They see how we respond. So don't not, don't guard your kids from everything, every single thing that seems hard in this life. We live in this society today that's like, your kids should never have any hard. Well, that's not reality. That's not what the Bible says. So as you go through hardship, number one, they see it. Number two, sit with them. Admit to them when it's hard. Ask them to pray for you. Pray with them. Ladies, sometimes things are affecting our little kids in ways that we would never dream of. May we not, may we not be so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't take the time to get down with them and say, how are you doing? 
This isn't all about you, mom. How's your 10-year-old doing? Maybe their dad suddenly died. Yes, that's rocked your world, but that's also rocked your 10-year-old's world. They need you. Remember, God gave them to you to steward. They need you. Don't give up on them. Don't abandon your family when you're walking through hardship. I would actually argue that's the time in their lives that they need you the most. They are looking for guidance. So either they're going to get it from you in a biblical fashion, or they're going to get it from this broken world that screams at them, do what you want. You know, that stinks for your life. Who cares about your parents? They don't love you anyway. Those are the lies our kids are being told. So when your kids are coming to you, you stop what you're doing and you listen, or you ask them questions, ask them about their days. There's always little seeds of things that you see if you're an involved mom. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes I just tell my kids when I ask them, how was your day? And, you know, some of them have 50 things to say and others have nothing to say. And that's fine because we're all made differently. But then, you know, a week will go by and I'll find something out and I'll be like, oh, that's probably what was bothering you that day when you didn't tell me what happened at school, huh? And they're always like blown away. But how did you know that? Say, well, I didn't actually know the exact thing that was happening, but I could tell that you were off because I'm involved and because I care and because I pray. And one of my sons, he always laughs about this. I pray that the Lord would show me if they're doing something wrong or sinful. I want to know. I'm the mom that wants the teacher to call me if something's going on. I don't get mad because guess what? God's called me to be responsible to help my child. And thankfully, I haven't been called by any teachers yet, but I still, I'm, I'm proclaiming that publicly now that I, I invite that. If there's something with one of my kids that they, that is off that I would want to know because I have to help them. So your trials are going to, don't waste them. Don't waste them and don't give up on your family. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, fathers of mercy, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. And that's what I'm saying, Lord. We are comforted by God in our affliction. We are comforted by the Lord's people, the body of Christ. May that, when you walk through your hardship and not wasting it, God also wants to equip you because guess what? I, I, I don't even, I'm sad to even tell you the number of bereaved parents I've met since Shane died. But I, every year I feel a little more equipped to point them to the truth in God's promises. And it's not because I'm an expert at it, but it's because I'm trying to walk with the Lord and obey the things that I know. So therefore, this body of Christ that we're in is working together and we can help each other. So I might be in in an affliction right now, a hardship, but then I need Susie to come along and comfort me and tell me, you know what? I lost a child 12 years ago. This is how I've gotten as far as I have. And every story is not going to be the same. Your reaction to everything isn't going to be exactly the same as someone else's. But isn't it great when we can get encouragement from other believers, believers who have walked the road ahead of us? that can look back and help us in the same way that we read Hebrews 11, all of those men and women listed, we can look at their lives and be encouraged 
because they stayed faithful. They didn't lose heart. Point number four is to do the next thing. So when you're doing the next thing, you won't waste the hardships you're experiencing. The only way I know how to describe the first two years after Jane died, and I've already referenced this, was that I used to tell people and they would ask, because people always would ask when they'd see me, how are you doing? You know, and some people would be afraid that I might cry or whatever it was, and I'd always give people permission to ask. Because it doesn't matter. If I happen to cry in front of you, I cry. If I don't, that's okay too. But Jane was still forever and it remains on my mind. It's not like if you don't ask about Jane, I forgot about her. And that's sometimes like I'm giving you the freedom as a bereaved parent to ask about the child who's died. That means the world to parents, just to hear their child's name. So say it, don't be afraid. The worst that's gonna happen is they're gonna say, I don't ever want you to bring up my child's name again. Okay, well, then you won't. But the best thing that's going to happen, and I promise you from all the people I've talked to, they all say the same thing. I just want to hear my child's name. So do that, ladies. Do that for other women. And then do, I'm going to talk about Elizabeth Elliot a little bit. She, I mean, I knew about her. I'd read a few of her books before we walked through the trial of death in our family. But I'll tell you, once Jane died, I've probably read 12 of her books by now. And, you know, she's someone that is not a stranger to hardship. She's lost, she lost, she's dead now, but she buried three husbands. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and she writes, she's coined the phrase, do the next thing. But as I was researching, I'm like, where did this come from? Claire, I'm going to say this for you. I always tell my kids when I ask them, where'd you hear that? Where'd that come from? And they say, I don't know. I just thought it or said it. And I always say to them, you got that idea or that song or something from someone. Like it didn't just pop in your head. And I'm just, I'm mainly throwing that out because Claire is sitting in here. They always joke me about that because they always say, Mom, why do you think nothing can be original? And I'm I'm just like, well, I don't think at your ages it is original. I think you heard that from someone. Um, But anyway, I was just curious, like, where did Elizabeth Elliot, when did she start saying do the next thing? And I actually, so I read that she got that phrase from an old poem which I'm going to read to you. It says, From an old English parsonage down by the sea, there came in the twilight a message to me. Its quaint Saxon legend, deeply engraven, hath it seems to me teaching from heaven. And on through the doors the quiet words ring, like a low inspiration, do the next thing. Many a questioning, many a fear, many a doubt hath its quieting here. Moment by moment, let down from heaven, time, opportunity, and guidance are given. Fear not tomorrow's child of the king. Trust them with Jesus and do the next thing. Do it immediately. Do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before thee with earnest command. Stayed on his omnipotence, safe underneath his wing, Leave all results, just do the next thing. Looking for Jesus ever serene, working or suffering be thy demeanor. In his dear presence, the rest of his calm, 
the light of his countenance be thy psalm. Strong in his faithfulness, praise and sing. Then as he beckons me, do the next thing. So now I know where she got that from. Um, and it was a Scottish, an old Scottish poet who wrote that. But I'm so grateful that the Lord gave Elizabeth Elliot those words. Through that poem, Do the Next Thing, because she writes about that often. In a lot of her books, you'll see her say, do the next thing, or I did the next thing, or I had to take my mind off of what was behind. I had to do the next thing to keep going. And I share that with you ladies, because in those early days of deep grief, when things were so dark and so heavy, the only thing that was getting me through with the Lord was doing the next thing. I still had a husband. I still had my four living children. So yeah, I still had to get up. I still had to take care of them. I still had to drive them places. I still had to tuck them in at night. I still had to pray with them. They still would get mad at each other and fight, and I had to break those up. And sometimes I'm thinking, Lord, why are they fighting right now when I'm sad? But guess what? God called me to do the next thing. And that, again, what I was referencing a little bit ago, get out of yourself. Do the next thing. That's going to help you. Get out of your hardships. So then as the days move forward, God was near and he still is. He sustained me. He is sustaining me. And you know how he was doing it? Through the words I'd stored in my heart years before those tragedies hit. So remember, your word is a light into my path and a lamp into my feet. Or maybe I just mixed those up. But God wants us to treasure his word. He often uses that reservoir of his word to equip us to do the next thing. Because I had things in my head like, it's not an accident that this is not an accident that I'm alive right now. I'm walking through this death of a child. But it's also not an accident that I was Jordan's wife, that I was Jack, Luke, Claire, and Grace's moms, that I had real jobs to accomplish and to do with them and to not quit on them. So keep living, ladies. Keep doing the next thing. Keep praying, and in the Lord's perfect time, he's going to bring you back into what I call the land of the living. Because sometimes in deep tragedy, and it doesn't just have to be the death of a child, can be all those things I rattled off or even more. Sometimes you do feel stuck. I mean, I said that so many times to people. I just feel stuck. Like, I don't know what to do. There wasn't like a manual that was given to me at the hospital. If she dies, this is what you do. But the only thing I knew to do was to go back to the God I serve and he loves me. And you had all of Jane's days perfectly ordained ever before there was one. And as much as I used to pray, often, Lord, I know you're good. I know you're faithful. I know our days are ordained. But why didn't you ordain Jane's days to be 99? And I knew I wasn't going to hear an audible answer. But it's like that was just healing for me. But again, it was okay that I was asking the Lord that because I already knew that God ordained her days. My days are ordained. I just don't know my end. Neither do you. So we need to be living for the Lord. Hardships don't have a timeline. So don't put yourself on one. Stay close to the Lord and continue doing 
what I call the non-negotiables with your husband and children, and God will bring you around in his perfect timing. Okay, my point four is walk in forgiveness. And I had to include that because we have these hardships that we're walking through. And unfortunately, we have things said or done to us during some of the worst times in our lives that sting or that can cut. But when tragedy strikes, you have to remember, ladies, no matter what it is, we're usually in a state of shock. We are living, but I would say we're doing the very basics to keep going. This was definitely true for me. So may we be patient and gentle towards those experiencing hardship. May we love them right where they are, but then be faithful to help them to not stay stuck in their hardship. I'm so grateful for the men and women in my life or my own children who spurred me on to keep moving forward. And I always hate it because people would always say to me, you know, you just got to pick up the pieces and move on. And that always made me so mad. Something I'm not moving on from Jane's life. But then there was another author who wrote, stop saying move on. Say you have to move forward, which we do have to move forward. We have to keep doing the next thing. Because as we know, as I, I live on a busy street and I would often stand in front of my front door and look outside the glass and see everyone on walks or walking their dog or driving. Or, and I would just be crying and thinking, they don't even know the pain that we're going through. They're just moving on, moving forward. That they weren't sinning. That's okay that they were living each day. But I was sad that I felt stuck. But guess what? We need to not judge those who are going through hardships as Christian women. We need to love them where they are. But then we do need to be asking the Lord to show us when to faithfully nudge them forward to enter back into things that God's called them to. And again, I'm not going to say, if you lose a child, you have this amount of years before this is okay, because it's different for everyone. My husband and I have read probably 40 books on bereaved parents. They're all different. Some say after a year they were they felt good. Others say, I remember reading one author said it took 16 years for her to feel like she was living again. And that scared me at the time. So I was like, 16 years, all my other kids are going to be gone. I don't want to waste that time. I remember in those early days saying, Lord, I don't want this to be 16 years of this disabling, heavy, sharp, painful grief. But it wasn't. And it hasn't been because I trusted that with the Lord. And my husband and I had pastors or godly people come alongside us when they felt like we were ready. Not that we were over it, but like, hey, you are ready to come back and be involved in this. Yes, it's gonna look different because your life will never be the same after a hard trial. And hopefully it's because you look more like the Lord, not less. But some people will hurt you, ladies. It's just a reality. But I also want to tell you this. After seven years of having little comments or jabs here or there said to me, in fact, I mean, I'm not, I, I wanted, I started to type out some things that really hurt me that had been said to me. But the Lord just like stopped me in my tracks. And 1 Corinthians 13 was ringing in my head, keep, do not keep a record of wrong. And then in Matthew, when, you know, the Pharisees go before 
the Lord has had, or wasn't the Pharisees? How many times should we forgive? And he says 70 times seven, which is basically an infinite amount of times. And I thought, I don't need to sit before these ladies today and rattle off my grievances. Like, what good is that going to do? Maybe it'll, maybe it'll give me like a momentary, like, oh, I feel good I shared that. But like, that's, that's not good. So even in preparing this talk, the Lord was working and convicting my heart that like, you don't need to share that. Ladies, you know at your stage and age what it's like to be hurt. But people are always going to hurt you. And you know what? You're going to hurt people. But I will tell you this, when people are walking through hardships, usually their intent is not to hurt you. Like there were several things that happened early on after Jane died that my husband and I were just like so mad at certain things that were said or done. And then now almost seven years later, we think, you know, I probably would have said the same thing. Because if you've never walked it, you don't know. And even if you have walked it, everyone reacts a little different. So give yourself grace, but also give others so much grace. I mean, you know when someone's just being mean-spirited and they're out to ruin you. But most people in your life, they want to see you thriving. And they would die if they knew that they had crushed you or hurt you. So you have to walk into forgiveness. Because guess what? Your bitterness, unforgiveness, causes you to become bitter. And God can't use a bitter person. So don't be an unusable servant of the Lord that you just stay stagnant because you feel justified by holding on to that hurt. You need, and I'm not telling you you need to call up every single person that's ever hurt you and announce, hey, excuse me, six years ago, you really hurt me with X, Y, or Z. You don't need to do that. Don't do that. But you take that to the Lord and tell him, I'm, I'm releasing that. Doesn't matter. And guess what, ladies? I will tell you through some of the things that made me that were hurtful. And even now, like with walking, I mean, I get so many comments. I mean, usually now I can laugh about them. But there are things if I were to dwell on it, I could get real sad. But I just, I always ask the Lord in it, Lord, what do you want me to learn from that comment? Is there something I'm doing that's maybe like, maybe I'm saying mean things to people or maybe I'm being quick with my words. And I mean, I am guilty of always assuming things. My, my kids know that more than anyone. Well, my husband probably the most, but I just like assume things and I think I'm right. And you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ever wrong. And so I just assume, and I, that's a terrible person to be. Don't be that way. And so... Don't assume that you know what another lady is walking through. Don't. Instead, let's do what Ephesians 4.32 says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Ladies, when you know that verse, and if you don't have that memorized, memorize it. Have your kids memorize it. Ephesians 4.32. God sent his one and only son He gave of him willingly to die in our place. I mean, now that I've lost a child, I can't imagine doing that. But God did that for me, for you. So when you know that you've been forgiven of so much, who were you to withhold forgiveness from someone else? So maybe there's someone you need to go home to today. Maybe you have bitterness towards your husband. 
Because as Audrey was talking about, he hasn't met your needs. That I, it made me laugh so hard when she said the thing about, you know, our poor, sometimes our, it's sad for our husbands because we get mad at them, but they don't even know that we're mad or what we're mad about. And we just assume that they should know and fix it. And then they ask and we say, nothing, nothing's wrong. And we get cold and bitter towards them and give them the cold shoulder. I don't do that, ladies. The Bible tells us that we don't know what our life's going to be like tomorrow. We're here one moment and gone the next. Or, you know, the Bible says we're here 80 years, 70, 80 if due to strength. Obviously, we know people who have lived way shorter and, women, and men and women who have lived way longer. But you don't know when your last breath is going to be. So fix the relationships and grant forgiveness. And you can't control if someone won't grant you forgiveness. But God knows your heart. So you do that. And finally, and Audrey had this point too, but be thankful. Your thankfulness, like I was saying in the beginning, that hint, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Because there's so many more blessings and hardships, ladies. I mean, I mean literally name down like, thank you, Lord, that I have a roof over my head. Thank you, Lord, that I have, you know, fresh air to breathe. Like, there's so many basic things that we take for granted. But be thankful for those things and your heart's going to change. And I know that God has a real purpose and plan for all that he has done and is doing and will continue to do in my life. I believe Romans 8, 28, which says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And remember, causing things to work together for good, that's God's definition of good, not ours. Because if you start inserting what you believe is good, it's usually not what God has. Yeah, some things are, but like, don't try to put God in a box. You don't know all the secret things that God's up to, that he's doing. So just trust him with it. You will have so much joy in your life if you relinquish that to the Lord. And sometimes it's hard to, to really believe that any good could come out of a really hard trial. But you ought to keep rehearsing verses in your head. Keep rehearsing truth. And that's gonna, you're going to believe it. You are. And before you know it, you're going to be helping someone else walking through a hardship. And you're going to be saying the very things that you had a hard time grasping years before. But that's how God works. Believe him. Take him at his word. And, you know, as we close, there's so many things I'm thankful for. Thankful for my salvation and the God I serve and the God who sees and hears Maureen's life. Every detail. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. Isn't that pretty cool that we can go to him in prayer anytime, anywhere, and he is there? That's probably a question my kids have asked me that before, some of them. How does God hear all the prayer requests of all the Christians in the world? And I mean, my answer is, I don't exactly know. I know God's all powerful and that he can do anything, but I don't, ex you can, and they'll say, well, I'll just have to ask him that when I get to heaven. And they will. Like a lot of things that we don't fully understand now will be crystal clear when we get to heaven. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my husband. 
Jordan, who has loved me so tenderly, he's been so faithful to me, he's kept all of our marriage vows. And as a side note, I'm just so thankful that we didn't make up some dumb marriage vows. Like there was this movie I watched like 15 years ago, and I remember one of the lines in the movie was, and I I love you more than my red velvet cupcake. And it was just like, how stupid is that? But that, those are the type of marriage vows that men and women say to each other today. And then we wonder why marriages crumble. Because I think most people are like me. I, I like red velvet, but I might not like it next year. So don't, don't base your vows and your covenants on just silly, frivolous, fleeting things. But I'm thankful for my husband who has led me through the good and the hard. He's led our family. Tell your husband that. Thankful for each of my children and all the things that they've taught me. And I'm thankful that I'm able to be their mom. I know that God perfectly chose me to be Jordan's wife and to be my kids' mother. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to wonder. And I'm thankful for the body of Christ. I'm thankful for each of you. Even though I live in Atlanta and you live here, or I, there's some women from Charlotte, it doesn't matter. The body of Christ, when we come together, it's like we've known each other forever because we have the Lord, the common bond of our salvation in common. And it doesn't matter where we're from or where we came from or where we're headed to. The body of Christ is to be together and to help each other. So God is near, he cares, and he loves us. I'm gonna read this verse to you as I close. It's from Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made me my feet like hind's feet, and makes me walk on high places. So you can insert your name in there. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, though my legs don't work, Lord, though my child die, though I'm walking through all this hardship, Lord, I will exalt your name. You are my rock. You are my foundation. You are my strength. You have to declare this truth, ladies, because life will be heavy at times and hard, but God has overcome sin and death when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And we have this eternal hope now that we will be with him forever. And I believe with every fiber of my being that when I get to heaven, I'm going to run to the Lord and run to Jane. And it's all going to be made right. It's all going to make sense. It is. Believe that, ladies. And as I, I'm going to pray for us, but I want to, one thing that's helped me a lot in the past 10 years is music. I love godly music that just honors the Lord. And unfortunately, I didn't really grow up with a lot of hymns because I became a Christian in my teenage years, so I didn't have this like depth of childhood hymns in my, in my reservoir. So I think now of a lot of music, you know, that's not, they're, I, I, they're not hymns, but they are God's truth and his words coming through. 
And so as I close this in prayer, our song is gonna play. And I would just encourage all of you to sit, to be still, maybe even close your eyes to not be distracted and ask the Lord what's in your life. What does he have for you? What are the things he wants you to go home with today and change or add? Or maybe, you know what, you're in a really good spot with the Lord and this conference has simply served as an encouragement and affirmation, but may you be humble before the Lord and ask him that you wouldn't become prideful in that and that your heart would say soft for him and his ways and that you're equipped and ready for when the hard comes. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for last night. Thank you for these ladies that took time out of their days, out of their weekends. Father, I pray you'd bless them richly, that you would give back to them the time that they've been away, but it would be so much richer, so much fuller, that they would go home and be thankful for their husbands and their children and all that you've given them. Father, thank you for your
this episode of Rare But Real, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. And share this podcast with friends. Follow Audrey on Instagram and Facebook at Mothering From The Heart. And listen to all her messages on the Search the Scriptures app.